I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello, my fellow mourners of diet culture. It is I, Emily Lubin, the Grim Reaper, and the host of this show. Welcome to RIP Diets, episode six. Today, we're going to be talking about principle number six of intuitive eating, which is feel your fullness. And I'm just going to come right at you with the official definition of feel your fullness. And this is from intuitiveeating.org where I get all of these definitions. In order to honor your fullness, you need to trust that you will give yourself the foods that you desire. Listen for the body signals that tell you that you are no longer hungry. Observe the signs that show that you're comfortably full. Pause in the middle of eating and ask yourself how the food tastes and what your current hunger level is. So let me break that down. There are obviously different levels of hunger um, and different types of hunger. Sometimes you could feel a little hungry, but maybe you're not sure you're hungry. I would say in those cases, it's always best to eat a little something and see how you feel. Again, intuitive eating is a process and we can't expect to do it perfectly right off the bat, but feeling your fullness is really about observing what is happening in your body when you're eating and accepting that it's a process and responding to your hunger cues. So you might have this idea that you're only supposed to eat three meals a day or you should eat six times a day or whatever idea that you already have in your mind of the amount that you should be eating because I definitely had that when I was recovering from chronic dieting. You need to kind of ignore that. Um, Not kind of. You need to absolutely ignore that and really tune into the way that your body feels when you eat. And again, your hunger can vary depending on what's happening physiologically, hormonally, and such. So it's not going to be the same every day. But it's really just becoming practiced at the process of feeling your hunger and assessing what your own needs are. And I think that actually leads beautifully into this question that I received in my DMs. And I thought it was a really good question and it made me think of all of these things that I wanted to talk about, which is why you guys need to continue to slide into my DMs. I am Lubination, L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N on Instagram. And it really, really helps me to understand what you guys want to learn about and what you want to hear me talk about. And it gives me all these ideas and actually helps me make the show better. So continue to do that. I love hearing from you guys. I also just love hearing what you think of the podcast in general. It's really motivating for me and it makes me feel like I'm doing something positive. So thank you again. And here's the question. I loved this week's episode with Hemda. How could I not? What a superb human being. I know she's the best. I have a question which I thought maybe you could address. How long did it take your body and brain to adjust to intuitive eating? I don't follow any specific diet, but I have been continuously restricting my eating to varying degrees for 20 years. 
Like you, I was a slightly overweight teenager before I developed anorexia. So while I've maintained a very thin body for a long time, I'm scared that underneath all the control I exert over my eating and exercise is just a fat person wanting to get out. If I was actually capable of removing the diet culture filter, then absolutely I'd become huge overnight and eat everything. When you started intuitive eating, did you overeat, quote, bad foods at first? And if so, for how long and how did you deal with it? I basically eat according to a schedule and a set of insane and exhausting food and exercise rules. So nothing about my eating is intuitive at all. I feel like I would be out of control for a good year or so before my body recalibrated. Did you have that experience? I love this question and it perfectly ties into what I want to be talking about today, which is extreme hunger. So oftentimes what happens when you've been restricting your intake for a long time or you've been on and off of diets is that your body is very, very smart and your body is always preparing for the next famine. So just like the Irish potato famine in which, you know, so many Irish people could no longer have access to the food that they had access to before because of the potato famine, you are creating a famine within yourself. And physiologically and psychologically, it's a very similar process that happens that you don't know where your next meal is coming from and when you're going to receive it. So your body needs to do what it needs to do to survive. So that means that if you've been restricting your intake for a long time and then you start giving yourself unlimited access to food, you might go a little bit crazy because you are hardwired to protect yourself from the next famine. That does not mean that you should backtrack and start restricting. That's actually the opposite of what you want to do. What you want to do is break the cycle. So you need to continue giving yourself unlimited access to food in order to reset your body and rebuild that internal body wisdom and trust. In case any of you are questioning the validity of that, I wanted to cite an experiment that um, is very well known, especially in the anti-diet dietetics realm, and that is the Minnesota starvation experiment. So I'm going to sum this up for you. In 1944, 36 men volunteered to be a part of a study in which their food intake would be restricted so scientists could examine the effects of starvation and in doing so be able to rehabilitate people who had starved during World War II. Um, So these men took part in this experiment in order to gain an understanding of the effects of starvation in the body so that they could help people who had been starving. Um, So this study consisted of only men. And for the first three months, they were put on a diet of 3,200 calories. And then after a few months, it was reduced to about 1,600 calories. It never went under that as far as I understand. But that was enough. 1,600 calories was enough to mimic the effects of starvation in the body. Which, 
by the way, goes to show you that those calorie counters um, and those apps like MyFitnessPal that tell you to eat 1,200 calories a day and still you can be healthy, that's very misleading and I, I think that's very harmful. But anyway, these dudes were all put on a restrictive diet and then over time, what they found was that the subjects developed an extreme preoccupation with food, urges to overeat at mealtimes, and a notable change in their mood. Um, apparently, the group of men at the beginning of the experiment were lively and boisterous, and they would have long discussions about current events and politics. And then during the starvation part of the experiment, they became mainly preoccupied with mealtimes and food, and they had very little energy for other topics. They also seem to have a distorted self-image, which is super interesting. The men were required to lose about 25% of their body weight for the experiment, but they didn't consider themselves to be thin. Instead, they perceived the people around them with normal body weights as too heavy or fat. Then, after about six months, they were given unrestricted access to food, and they experienced what we now call extreme hunger. So they required a much larger amount of calories than they were eating prior to the experiment, and they still were not satisfied. After they were restored to their natural body weight, their caloric needs eventually leveled out over time as they regained that internal body trust and wisdom. So what can we take away from this? When you decide to recover from chronic dieting, physiologically, a similar thing can happen as did happen in this experiment, okay? Our bodies are hardwired to protect us at all costs. So if you've been severely restricting your food and then suddenly you have unlimited access, again, your body doesn't know when the next famine is going to be. We've already set that precedent that your food could be restricted severely at any time. So that's why when you go off a diet, we have the tendency to go crazy because we haven't restored that internal body wisdom. So this is all to say you need to continue having unlimited access in order to reset your body and regain that trust. Another piece of advice that I have, and, and I did respond to this person with this advice, is do not weigh yourself during this process. In fact, don't weigh yourself in general. I don't weigh myself. I haven't weighed myself in probably three or four years. And even when I go to the doctor, I request that either they don't weigh me or if they insist, because sometimes they insist because, you know, the medical industry thinks that body weight is the pinnacle of health. I will get on the scale backwards and I'll tell them to not tell me my weight. This is something that medical practices need to respect. They actually cannot require you to weigh yourself or to be weighed rather. So you can request to not be weighed and they should listen to you. They should be able to, let's say you're going in for a checkup. You should be able to be seen by a doctor and be given very thorough medical advice without them knowing your weight. It's pretty irrelevant for most things that we go to the doctor for anyway, right? I mean, I one time I had a knee injury. I had like a pain in my knee and wasn't walking correctly for 
I want to say like a month and I went to the doctor and they asked me to get on the scale first thing. And I was like, uh, no, I don't think I need to be weighed. And they didn't weigh me. And I, I think that's the way that it is at most practices. But if they do really insist that they weigh you, you can get on the scale backwards and ask them to not tell you your weight. And the reason for this is because the process of weighing yourself, while it is pretty normal, a lot of people have scales in their house, they have scales in their bathrooms, they have scales at every gym, you know, it makes you really disconnected with your own body because as seen in the classic movie, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Oh God, I've been killing myself for eight days and I gained a pound. That's impossible. Did you deduct 16 pounds for your shoes? You could be eating vegetables or, quote, good foods for a week, and maybe you actually will gain weight on the scale. The scale actually isn't really telling you as much as you think it's telling you. And often, it actually just makes us disconnected with our body, and it can discourage us in this process. I saw a quote one time on Instagram or something and it was like why weigh myself when I could just walk on shards of glass and feel the exact same way that's kind of my philosophy it's like what information am I going to gain from that I have already accepted that my weight does not matter and it's just a number so I don't need to know that number because they're in the past for me at least there's been a lot of emotional weight attached to that number. So I just don't even need to go there. I don't need to attach my self-worth to the increasing or decreasing of a number. Also, when I see a scale in someone else's bathroom, I always have the thought, what if I trash this? I've never actually done it, but I've always kind of wanted to. And this is like the rebellious kind of mischievous part of me that I just like get this itch to trash their scale because I'm like why do you have a scale in your bathroom are you weighing yourself every morning are you torturing yourself are you beating yourself up if the number isn't what you wanted it to be and I'm telling you I used to own a scale and I used to live by that scale and if I woke up I would weigh myself every day and if I woke up and I got on the scale and it had gone up from the day before, I would have a bad day. And additionally, if I got on the scale and it was lower than the day before, then it would be a good day. And I simply cannot afford to have my days and my life premeditated by this number that really doesn't mean all that much. Ain't nobody got time for that. And can vary for so many people and can vary based on your cycle and can vary based on your hormones and what's happening in your external environment. So I just would throw out your scale and never use it again. Okay, and another thing that I wanted to touch on, and this is a little bit more science talk. I'm sorry that I need to go into all this scientific matter. But I mean, I think it's interesting and I think it's important to understand how it works so that you can logically connect the dots in your brain. Like, okay, this is what we're doing and this is how it's happening. So there's a theory called the weight set point theory. And what this theory means is that there is a weight usually within 10 pounds, like a 10 pound window in which your body feels most comfortable 
and you don't need to expel much energy. You don't need to watch what you eat. Um, it will basically stay in that 10-pound margin. And I have found that to be true. Again, I don't weigh myself, but I find that right now I have unlimited access to food and I don't monitor my intake and I don't monitor my exercise really. And my body stays about the same. It might fluctuate a little bit, but I don't mind. And that's the set point theory. And there's been a lot of evidence to support this theory. And that's why oftentimes when you go on a diet, you may reach a certain point where you are at a plateau. And I've heard people say, you know, you really need to push through or restrict even more to lose those last 10 pounds or those last 20 pounds. Um, And In my opinion, and based on what I've read and gathered, those last 10, 20 pounds are actually below your set point weight. So the reason why we plateau like that is because that's where our body feels comfortable and our body is going to regulate itself so that it doesn't spend more energy than it's receiving in order to stay at that set point weight. So to circle back to this question that I received, I would not worry about you going, quote, crazy or becoming huge overnight. Like I have continued to say, the focus of this is obviously not on our body and there's nothing wrong with larger bodies. But at the same time, I understand that worry because I definitely have that worry I used to have a fear that if I ate a certain amount for a week, I would suddenly be so much larger than I was before. And our bodies just don't really work like that. You see from the Minnesota starvation experiment, this was done over the course of a long time. It wasn't done over the course of one or two weeks. And just like you cannot lose a significant of weight overnight, you cannot gain a significant of weight over time. And for me personally, it was a slow burn. I slowly gained back some weight. But, you know, I was an overweight child and an overweight young adult. And initially, when I lost a lot of weight, when I went on my first diet, I did plateau. And I had to resort to some pretty disordered stuff in order to get to a lower weight that I wanted to be at. When in reality, I believe that that plateau was where my body naturally feels best and feels most comfortable and operates at full capacity. So again, I don't weigh myself, but if I were to guess based on uh, clothing and the what I perceive, that plateau is around where my set point weight is and that's where I stay no matter what I do. So I would stress as much as you can, try not to worry about it. Try not to worry about these effects on your body. Um, And I know that's easier said than done. I had a big problem um, for a couple years after I started recovering with body checking And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's exactly what it sounds like. I would wake up and I would immediately check my body. For me, it was my stomach. I would, the first thing, literally, 
the first thing that I would do when I woke up in the morning was I would touch my stomach. I would see if it felt bigger than before. Um, and then I would get up and look in the mirror. I would lift up my shirt, turn to the side and really examine my stomach. And I would do this actually multiple times a day. It became kind of like a tick. And this is called body checking. Some people obsessively take pictures of themselves. Some people film themselves. Some people um, just, you know, feel up and down their body or adjust their clothes constantly. Or And th- these are all forms of body checking. And I was really frustrated with myself because I was still doing this way into recovery, like a year, a year and a half, two years. And I knew that me just putting a ban on the body checking wouldn't really work because it was a compulsion. I promise you, naturally, this will level out over time. I do not wake up and body check anymore. I do not grab my stomach first thing in the morning anymore. I really don't think about it that much. And it's vastly improved my life to to not have those worries in my mind, trust me. But I know that that is a very real thing. And I know that In the beginning of this process, you could feel a little stressed about what might happen to you, but I promise you, you will not feel that way a few months in or a year into the process when you find that you have so much more energy and you have this zest for life that you didn't have before because that's what happened with me. It wasn't so much that I stopped caring about my body. It was more that I saw how beneficial this way of life was in every aspect of my life that I just stopped putting so much emphasis on my body and I was able to live my life and really enjoy those experiences in the moment. And it's a beautiful thing. I don't think you should be afraid. I think that you should, if you are interested in recovering from diet culture, just keep listening to this podcast, read intuitive eating, read books, and don't second guess yourself because it is a process. You don't have to do everything perfectly. You will learn and your body will develop that internal wisdom that I was talking about before. Okay. And now I'm going to introduce my guest for today. I had a really fun conversation with one of my best friends on this earth, Andrea Allen. She is a comedian in New York City. She is the co-host of my other podcast, The Hot Mess Comedy Hour. And she is the co-host of the Only in New York podcast with last week's guest, Chemda, and future guest, Tracy Carnazzo. She's just, she is such a refreshing person. And from the beginning of our friendship, I always really envied her relationship with food. She eats with this sort of vitality and gusto that I just was so envious of, especially because I was still deep in my eating disorder when we first met. And she really inspired me so much to enjoy food and to not give a shit about the quote ramifications it would have on my body she's also curvaceous and is tall she's 5'11 she wears extremely sexy clothing midriff bearing tops I mean we go into it in the conversation but she's always dressed in a way that emphasizes her curves in a really fun beautiful way and despite the fact that she has had 
insecurities about her body, which we talk about as well in the conversation, she also flaunts her curves and her method for becoming more comfortable with her body was actually to show more of her body, which I think is just so fun and um, such a beautiful way to learn to accept yourself. So I thought it would be fun to talk with her about learning to love yo fat ass, learning to love being in a slightly bigger body type than maybe you wanted to be or the people around you were encouraged to be. Andrea and I both grew up in close circles of friends that were all very petite girls. And it's a very unique thing where when you're the biggest one in the group of your friends, you just feel out of place sometimes and you just feel like a big oaf and it it distorts your sense of what your body actually looks like because in in pictures it looks like you're standing seven feet in front of them you're just so much bigger than them and I think it can really distort the way that you perceive your body and make you think that you need to be smaller and For me and for Andrea as well, it took some time to really become comfortable with our bodies and to see them for what they truly are, which is fucking special. And I I was also talking via DM with another lady and she was telling me that she's 5'9 and she's always had a, a naturally larger frame and that it's just hard to find representation for mid-size women in in uh, the biz we call it mid-size which is when you're kind of between straight size and plus size or on the bigger end of straight size and I agree it can be a really hard thing to adjust to and I was so insecure for years in I believe episode one I, I talked about my sister being this tiny little dancer type and I was never like that and it really made me think that I wasn't beautiful because I didn't look like that and she constantly would get praised for for having this petite little body so I thought I needed to have that but the fact is you can find somebody beautiful or other people can find somebody beautiful or hot and that does not take away from your beauty or your sex appeal it really doesn't and when you think about it like rainbows are beautiful but horses are beautiful too and those two look nothing alike okay there is so much beauty in this world there are so many different types of beauty and when I look at other people I can appreciate their beauty in all different types of people And I promise you, people feel the same way about you and you definitely have something unique to offer. If you're a tall bitch like I am and like Andrea is, fucking own it. Andrea is 5'11 and she walks around in six inch heels, okay? She has always had this attitude like if you're intimidated or upset by my physical size, I don't even need to talk to you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Ain't nobody got time for that. And... I just love that and I try to channel that within myself. I'm not even as tall as she is, but you know, I grew up very self-conscious about my height and about my frame and my size, and now I love it. Now I would not change being tall for anything in the world. I think tall people are gorgeous. I think 
having a larger frame, you have a presence. When you walk into the room, people notice you. You can reach things on high shelves. At the supermarket, people always ask you for help and you feel so important. Clothes look great on you. You never have to hem jeans. And yeah, I just think being tall is amazing. And hello, it's a dominant gene and we dominate. And that's just the fact of the matter. So without further ado, I'm going to go right into this conversation with Andrea Allen. This was such a fun conversation. We talked about the heroin chic trend of the 90s. We talked about the dawn of J-Lo and her big booty. It must be the ass that got me like that. We talked about what it's like to grow up up with a big booty or when you even realize that that's a thing, I think you're really going to enjoy it. You guys, I am so excited to introduce to you the co-host of my other podcast and one of my best friends, Andrea Allen. Welcome to the show. Oh, honored to be here. Are you so psyched to be on my new proj? Yes, I very much am. I love that you're doing this. I think it's like such a, such a nice thing to hear about this part of your life and also for women to be able to talk about this shit. It is ever consuming in our world. Yeah, we don't talk about it enough. Like I I already I've had a couple interviews already with guests and it's funny like both of them brought up things that I did not know about them with their yeah. history and like having disordered eating and I feel like it affects way more people than we even realize because we don't really talk about it unless somebody has like a formal diagnosis. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I also thought about like my, I used to talk about it a lot with my ex-boyfriend because I would talk about how I felt about my body with him because he saw my body, but like amongst friends, uh, not really, you know? We've talked about before and we've bonded before over growing up in um you know kind of a, a whitewashed neighborhood <laughs> and Ugh. having having friends that I mean I definitely all my friends when I were gro- was growing up were smaller than me yeah and I would have to ride in the front seat which was like shameful back in elementary school like when you were the one who had to ride in the front seat because you and couldn't like fit in the skinny section it wasn't even that it was that like apparently it's safer for or, or it's not safe for children to ride in the front seat but like since I was the biggest one, I guess Aww. it was the least yeah. dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and just always feeling singled out for that. And I'm I'm wondering, what was your experience? Because I, I know you've mentioned your group of friends are all fairly petite. What was that like growing up? Oh, it's the worst. Um, I mean, well, I went to an all girls school, uh, which like on one hand really fostered like you can in in the classroom you can be good at school and you can be excited about what you're learning and not be embarrassed to like seem nerdy in front of men which is crazy like that intelligence is somehow a deterrent but okay here we are um but on the flip side there was a lot of competing with one another over looks even in a place where there was like no we're not competing for anyone's attention we're just competing to be the skinniest to fit in the smallest jeans, you know, uh, those low riders that like had no allowance for hips whatsoever. Um, yes. 
The Brazilian style jeans with the zipper up the crotch. Yeah, those jeans were like a ring of hell for me because everyone No, it's was... honestly tragic that anybody wore those, but I especially <laughs> could not wear those. And like you want to so badly and like you go shopping with your mom and they're like, do you have a size 12? And you're like, oh God, kill myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like it's just like all of the clothing wasn't fitting. It wasn't fitting for my body. I have a very curvaceous body. And, you know, I even remember I hated my hips so much that I was like, what if there could be a surgery where they grind down the bones of my hips? Real thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was also like a teenager, but I'm like, I, I just wanted to be like long and like wayfish, especially when we grew up. It was like, uh, you know, Kate Moss and like the 90s and everyone was just like anorexic and that was good that was like the standard you wanted to be like way that was seen as fashionable like well yeah we're around the same age so like growing up in the 90s like that's definitely what I aspired to be like was like that heroin chic Fiona Apple looking body type but then something interesting happened and then like when J-Lo stepped out Mm -hmm. on the scene everybody was talking about her ass and like how amazing it was I feel like that's kind of when the tide shifted a little bit and people started appreciating the ass as like the main physical (laughs) attribute I'm wondering because you you have a a big ass a dump truck ass as as uh as someone told me I hadn't heard that before but yes I I have a dump truck ass um it's not the most flattering term is it yeah no I don't like love that I like the word the dump (laughs) is in it I'm like let's Okay. Yeah, don't use the word dump when we're talking about asses. Yeah. Um, yes, I do. And like my mom has it too. It's so funny. We have like almost the exact same body. It's purely genetic. I'm so sorry for all those bitches out there doing squats. I do nothing for this thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember, you know, what's funny is that like the white girls in my school used to call me Latino body. Really? Uh, which is like very racist. Uh, yeah. Um. It was like I was very. You grew much, up in Canada, for the record. Yeah, it, we didn't even know any Latino people, but but J Lo was a Latino person. Yeah, and like that was our reference point for like a curvaceous woman of color. Um, so we we're just like parroting what we saw, but that was the first time that there had been attention drawn to the fact that I had a very curvaceous body, and I hated it. I hated when people called me uh, hourglass I thought that was just like a way to call me fat you know and I hated that I felt like I was being treated like a novelty or that they were like making fun of me um in I don't know it it felt strange because it's like you don't talk about each other's bodies you know regularly why are we like always okay talking about my body why are we okay grabbing me touching me um people touch me all the time (laughs) I think it's also by virtue of my tallness too yeah you're you're 5'11 yeah yeah and um you know on the one hand it was like the first step towards accepting being like oh that's like beautiful like JLo's so beautiful but it's also like (sighs) JLo is unbelievably hot you know what I mean and like yes she's curvaceous she's also 
a goddess. She has like superior genetics. So it it's like she's some sort yeah, of she alien. She ages backwards also. Yeah. So it's like to be like, oh, look, that's what a curvy woman looks like. And like, that's your only option to look like a literally nearly flawless human being, you know? Right. It, it kind of just felt like now there was a way to point out that I had a different type of body. Um, and it was like masked in a like, you go girl kind of way. But really, right. it was still like, oh, I'm calling you fat kind of um yeah like it was a way to call attention to you without being overtly body shaming exactly exactly when did you because you like having a curvy body now I do when did you become comfortable with it honestly like three four years ago I mean it's it's it depends like I've always had a good relationship with food because my family loves food so it's like uh, I've always been torn because I love enjoying food. I I don't I don't have disordered eating really. Uh, there's definitely I'm I come from a, a white woman home, so there's definitely a preoccupation with diets. But I feel as if I'm probably a little bit. We love food so much in my family that it's like we're like ah fuck it, who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but in terms of like liking having a curvy body, I think it's only been the past few years. Um because of like social media and stuff and um curvaceous women being out there showing it off and people being like yes this is beautiful and like meaning it you know um yeah and that that's something that's really like only happened in the past 10 years that we mm -hmm. see like that kind of body diversity because you used to open a magazine and really like you would only see women the size of a pinky finger and that yeah. was the only representation so I think like people as soon as they were able to just see other people represented they got so collectively excited yeah. and that's like you know that's the Yas Queen uh response to that <laughs> body type is like thank god like finally we're showing real people who have a different shape it's also like it's kind of um it's like to see skinny white ladies trying to like squat to get asses and shit like that like part of me is like hell yeah and part of me is like oh I have been taking such shit for so long for being like you know I've always felt like people were doing me a favor when they like slept with me a lot of the time because I wasn't like a skinny white woman or I felt like um I was like a novelty like almost like, oh, I'm sleeping with this like freak show, you know, like. Yeah, like let's try something different. Exactly. Outside of my normal routine. Yeah. Like I'm going to take a sample in like the fat girl category, but like I'll never, <laughs> I'll never like date her. I'll never, you know, publicly say that I like her body. Um, And, and I always felt like if I lost enough weight, finally, like. I would be an acceptable person to be like, you know, loved. And, and I mentioned uh, my ex-boyfriend on the top of the show. And I also think like him being really positive about my body when we were together was a huge, but there was like a coinciding, like being with a partner who was like, like I gained a bunch of weight uh, in my late twenties because that metabolism slows down a little bit. Yeah. As, as people do. Totally. And I just felt so uncomfortable for so long. And I just remember him being like, you 
you have an incredible body. I don't like know how to how to make you understand that without telling you, but people just have to tell you and tell you and tell you. Like there's a lot of unlearning um going around. So it's a process for sure. Yes, Dustin. Mm-hmm. We stand a body body positive king on uh-huh. this show. Yeah. So. And also, you didn't you I don't think you said this, but you tend to gravitate toward more um uh lanky mm-hmm. men and your ex-boyfriend was like, I mean, he looks like a string bean. <laughs> you know what I think that is is that like I think that I've I'm so used to have being treated as like an other with my body type. Um and I'm talking like within white society, you know. Um sure. um that like I'm attracted to people who also have like unconventional body types because I feel like they understand what it feels like to be um not considered an option. You know what I mean? I think I was uh yeah. And, and I don't know, skinny guys also like have extra confidence because they've been skinny guys their whole life. So they're just like, I don't give a fuck. I'm tiny. I'll throw you around. Yeah. I, I'm wondering the way that you dress is very like overtly sexy and you like to accentuate your curvy mm-hmm. body, but in in a way, like you're drawing attention to your curves, but like in a good way. Did you intentionally do that to gain more body confidence, or did it just happen naturally? I think it's a two. It's a twofer. One, I like. It's kind of like you know, I wear heels, and I'm already very tall, and so when I wear heels, I'm like six two. God damn! <laughs> I kind of um always enjoy saying fuck you to people um and and like showing off that I'm like a large woman um and wearing like spandex and giant heels is like a way to outwardly express that like clothing and dressing has always been a way and and that's what I liked about fashion when I worked in fashion is that like there's a lot of really horrible shit associated with it. But what I like about it is that it's transformative in a sense too. like often oppressed groups develop like incredible fashion as a response to feeling like powerless. It's a way to be like, no, you can't stifle me. I will be very loud and you will see me. Um, and I will do it through, uh, the clothing that I wear. I will not, uh, wear what you think I should wear. I will wear things that you think are inappropriate. I love wearing things that I, people think are inappropriate. <laughs> I get such a rise out of it. Yeah. Like God love wearing a bra as a shirt, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of midriff bearing tops and tight pants, I would say is like the silhouette. That totally. Totally. Um, so I think that's always been my like little rebellion um, in a sense. Um, and I also, um, it helps me feel good. And I'm not saying like cat collars and shit I like, but like when I'm out there with like my fucking <laughs> tight pants and I see like someone, you know, uh, checking me out or like, uh, you know, uh, women often compliment me on the way that I dress. And that also makes me feel really good. Um, it's just kind of like an act of like, fuck you. I won't wear like some dumpy bullshit to like hide the fact that I'm, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have big hips or a big ass. Like, 
I'm fucking a JLo in a, in a way too. the way that she showcased her body and, and was like un- unapologetic was definitely was a big influence on me. I was definitely like, Oh, I like that. I like seeing, because what's your option? Just like starve yourself forever and fucking wear. Right. Or be, ash- be ashamed and, or try to wear things that you don't really feel comfortable in or, or isn't really your style. Yeah. Like, I I can relate to that because like I used to wear a lot of like high-waisted shorts and crop yeah. top situations and then I realized like I'm not really so comfortable in that. I mean, I am a little more now, but at the time I was just like, why do I need to dress in a way that I think is cute if I don't feel cute? Yeah. That's the whole point of fashion, you know what I mean? Well, I, yeah, I also think like there's like hot girl ways to dress. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm wearing the cute little shruggy thing and this little like <laughs> there's ways to dress when you're small that you can't dress when you're bigger or or like you just feel uh, it just doesn't work well with your body type. So I've always been like, I'm going to wear what works well and what I feel good in. And I also yeah, don't it's wear- like a, if you can't join them, beat them type of thing. Yeah. And also I don't wear jeans. They're uncomfortable. I have incredibly long legs. Jeans. Oh, yeah. I've ne- I've seen you wear jeans once. I-, I hate jeans. And they represent such pain for me because it harkens back to that like 13 year old. Everyone's wearing the fucking Miss 60 tiny jeans they cost like two hundred dollars they're insanely expensive they yeah they they're not built for people with hips because like the hips spill over it's like a muffin top situation it's humiliating and like i would there's no room there's no room like between the waist and the crotch to hold up to for the hips to hold it up yeah no. And I would go to shop for jeans with my mom and I would just cry. Like we would go into the dressing room. Oh. Nothing would fit. I would just cry. And then I would know that like I was going to go to a high school dance and everyone was wearing those like tight jeans and they were tiny and like the little tank tops. I also didn't have I don't have big like large boobs either. And I I feel like back then it was like you have to be tiny and have huge boobs and have blonde hair. Yeah. And like I just was so not that. And like every time I would go to a dance or, or anything that was like, you know, a social outing, it was just like I felt like I was just like Daria in the corner being like, hey, guys. That is a look, though, Daria. Totally. She fucking slayed. She did slay. Um, but jeans, jeans are a hellscape. One, because I'm not... um. I, I wasn't ever like thin enough to fit into the the straight sizes really. Um, and also I'm tall. So it's either I'm wearing like fucking clown pants or I'm wearing like tight, tiny, like weird. It, it, it's always in my crotch. Um, yeah. The punching in the crotch <laughs> is the worst part of the jeans. I wear jeans fairly often but it took a long time. It takes a long time to find a good pair of jeans that fits you. Yeah. And especially when you're tall, the good thing is you never have to hem a pair of jeans. <laughs> but the bad thing is like they just don't carry enough sizes or enough lengths like yeah. inseams I know. at regular stores. So like either you're shopping plus size or you're not buying jeans. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I just made a decision to wear spandex pants and kimonos at like 18 <laughs> and was like, that's it. You know, this is my Luke. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What would you say to someone, maybe someone younger who has a curvy body, isn't comfortable with it, or maybe like there isn't enough representation where they live? Like, what would you say for them to do to like build their self-esteem and be okay in their own skin? I think, um, I think with overall self-esteem comes body self-esteem. So like, I always gravitated towards, you know, hang out with the friends that accept you for who you are. Um, don't try to conform, I guess, is my answer, because it's a it's a fool's game. You know what I mean? And, and I know the I know the impulse to try to conform. But like, it just leads you down a path that's going to hurt your feelings. So I would say, do your best to surround yourself with people who accept you for who you are and that's just a general life rule I mean you know attaching finding a way to attach your self-worth to something that is not your physical appearance is always a good way to go right because yeah once you can and and of course very difficult to do yeah but if you work towards that then it almost doesn't matter as much what you look like because you won't have time to think about it so much or make those comparisons you'll be too focused on like doing what you enjoy doing whether it's like a sport I know you played rugby in high school yeah sports were very good I'm sure that helped distract from your body as like a sex object or um just like a physical representation of yourself because your body can do amazing things and rugby is like a very um contacty sport oh yeah I definitely was like that was the first time where I was like oh it's very helpful that I'm so large right now you yeah. know what I mean it felt very powerful um yeah I I just think I think we need to be honest about how difficult this journey is and and I and I see that it's getting better and better for each generation of women so I'm like so happy for that but yes I think Build your identity around things that you love. And with time, the pain associated with the way you feel about your body will slowly fade away. Um, but, but you know, don't give a shit what people say. I mean, that's what I've always sort of like, and it's a very hard piece of advice to take, but it's so, the minute you meet someone who like doesn't give a fuck what people think, it's so infectious. Um, you just want to be around that person all the time. Exactly. Because everyone's comfortable around that person. So like, I really try to foster that in all of my relationships and within myself. And it doesn't mean you're going to feel secure all the time. I have moments of insecurity. I still have moments of hating my body. You know, I, I, I'll be very honest about that, but self building self-worth through your work or through your friendships, um, through the causes that you are a part of, like join up, join up with communities. That's always been the thing that's like saved me in my whole life is, is community. And you're going to meet people who are on the same page as you. I mean, me and Emily met through like a group of internet nerds and that like Mm -hmm. radically changed our lives. So, uh, try to meet like-minded people and you'll always be surrounded by those who like accept you for, for, who you are totally and that's that's harder to do as a younger person yeah which is why I think women in their late 20s to late 30s become so much more comfortable with themselves like this is just the one thing that women who are a little bit older than me tell me like every year I become more comfortable with myself and I think it's because like you're in charge of your own life and when you're young when you're in high school you really, I mean, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a very small pool. Totally. But 
you should be, especially with social media, like following people that look more like you or have different ideas about what bodies should look like, like that, all of that stuff, we underestimate how much it can like creep into your subconscious. I mean, even in the way that like everyone's racist (laughs) observations of JLo were negatively affecting me. It was also positively affected, positively affecting me to see people be like, oh, what? That's a beautiful type of body. Yeah. Before then, I hadn't seen that. It's so funny, too. Like, I also, because I went to an all girls school, I didn't understand that like men could be attracted to my body. I mean, I was also like a fucking kid, but I remember the first time I went to a, a co ed school, I used to wear, <laughs> I used to wear these like, dove gray track suits <laughs> oh my god wait t- was it like a a mixer like a dance with both no like I went to I went to a co-ed school in in um, ninth grade so oh so you switched from the all-girls school yeah, to, to a, a co-ed, co-ed school. school so I remember going to a co-ed school and like I I used to wear these like lululemon like matching track suits dove gray which hides nothing <laughs> Yeah, that's why, like, when guys wear gray sweatpants, you fully see the dick outline uh-huh. every time. That's why gray is my favorite color, to be honest. <laughs> gray tells the truth. Um, and, I, and it had, like, white stripes on the side. I just remember being like, this is so sick. <laughs> um, and I would walk around in this tracksuit, and a senior um, – was like hey like like catcalling I mean whatever catcalling looks like in like a private school was like yelling at me and I didn't understand and I looked over to like one of my friends who was older and I was like what is he yelling about and he was like he likes your butt and I was like what Ooh. and uh, like I, that was the first time I think I'd ever even conceptualized that like a man could be attracted to my body and like what that felt like and and yeah you know so it, I've kind of I'm kind of like you and that I'm a late bloomer, but I'm I'm very grateful for that because now in my 30s I have, you know I I feel very sure of who I am. I feel yeah. Can you imagine if we were dealing with that what we were dealing with in high school now? It'd be horrible. And a, a lot of a lot of women stay within their um prison. I hate to say it. Yeah, flesh um, prisons. Yeah, and I like see pe and it's. It makes me really sad. Like I have some friends who are like still constantly talking about dieting and I'm like, you're so skinny. It's never going to be, it's never going to be good enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also like, I see that they're so obsessed with being beautiful and as you age, beauty fades um, and having all of your entire worth invested in being like a sex object and being beautiful it's not a great plan. Yeah, it's a poor investment. Yeah, and I and I, it makes me sad to see these people who are so smart and have so much to offer feel as if they don't have value. And that's because they're paying lip service to these these ways that society views women. They don't serve us. They're not for us. You know what I mean? So we have to actively reject them and it's uncomfortable, you know? But I think also because I've never fit into it anyways, I've always just been like fuck this. And right. now, um, and as a result of that, I feel I feel very good about who I am. Well, that was lovely. And th- I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. It's not like we spend enough hours together virtually no, anyway. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you and follow you? 
Uh, find me at Andrea Comedy sixty nine on Instagram. You can see her ass on Instagram, by the way. <laughs> my my ass is out there. Um, it's gotten so like big. I will say this: in my thirties now, I also kind of like my boobs kind of came in a little bit. So lucky. <laughs> uh huh. So now I really do have like this very traditionally female looking body and it's weird sometimes I'll like walk past myself and be like whoa yeah I I get that impulse because sometimes I think you know I'll I'll catch myself in the mirror and I have like a a big butt now I've worked Mm. out for it but I have a big butt so proud welcome thank you thank you so much um but I still have like a cup boobs maybe small b cup boobs Mm -hmm. and I think if I had big boobs, I'm not sure I'd be able to handle it. Uh-huh. Can you imagine the power? Yeah. Like, I, I would just be swinging my junk in every direction. I, I don't know if the world could handle it. I know. I like walk past myself in the mirror. I'm like, va-va-voom. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I would always look at my mom. And my mom has the same body as me, um, bigger boobs, which I am now enjoying. But I remember my mom would wear heels and like, you know, the the like fully the full outfit. Mom's a gorgeous woman. And I remember just being like, especially as a teenager, being like, what am I going to look like? What am I going to have full woman body? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I just now feel like I have that. And like, I'm proud of it. I feel good about it, you know, and 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 a younger me would probably kind of be freaked out about like about how much heat I was packing but an older me I'm like nah everyone seems to like it so fuck off yeah and what's not to like Mm -hmm. all right follow Andrea at Andrea comedy 69 on Instagram if you want to see a dead ass thank you for having me all right I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrea Allen you can follow her at Andrea comedy 69 on Instagram And if you like our dynamic, we've been friends for like seven years and we've been podcasting together for five of them. You should check out my other podcast. It's called The Hot Mess Comedy Hour. It is a weekly podcast. It comes out on Wednesday. And yeah, you can just hear Andrea and I talk about things that are not body related. We talk about a lot of sex and dating and we have guests on and we ask them why they're a hot mess. It's a really fun show. If you like this show and you liked our dynamic, you'll probably like that one. Anyway, that's it, guys. Continue to slide into my DMs. I'm Lubination, L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N on Instagram. And tell me what you think of the show. Continue to write iTunes reviews. They truly, truly help out the show. And I'm going to continue to read the best ones on the show as a token of my appreciation. And yeah, let's keep this revolution going. (laughs) Ta-ta!